welcome to episode 23 of Imperfect Progress. If this is your first time dropping in, I'm your host, Anne Guzman. My voice continues to be raspy, so please excuse that. I'm uh, recovering from a cold I had for some time, but uh, this is how I sound, so here I am. And today, we're going to be talking about probably the first topic that I've podcasted on that discusses something that falls more into the category of alternative medicine, and that is turmeric. And I'm super keen to dig into that with my guest today, Dr. Ravi Mohan. Personally, over the last year, I've spent some time digging into the data myself, and I've learned that in fact, turmeric or curcuma longa has some interesting data behind it. And I was really interested to talk about these data on turmeric and in particular around anti-inflammation. So I was curious to get Dr. Mohan's opinion on different types of supplementation, whether it be liquid versus powder versus extract. I wanted to discuss his thoughts about dosing, supplement quality, and even where he sees the evidence going and also some interesting research that he's doing right now um, with some NHL players around turmeric ginger shots. Dr. Mohan is a practicing physician here in Canada. He received his PhD from Oxford University in exercise physiology. And as you'll learn today, he's also an entrepreneur. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Dr. Mohan over the last year, and he really has a grounded approach to overall health and wellness. And I admire where his priorities lie in so far as creating a healthy, well-rounded life, which we talk about today. Now, most of us are probably familiar with turmeric as, you know, it's that bright yellowish orange spice that we have in our cupboards for cooking to add color or flavor to curries or mustards, etc. And turmeric is actually derived from the root of a plant in the ginger family, curcuma longa. We also touch on the properties of ginger around inflammation today and why juicing turmeric and ginger could be a good combination. Not to mention, ginger obviously adds that crazy zing to any drink. So um, if that's what you love, definitely add it in there. I myself would love to actually make a turmeric ginger ice cream. So if there are any chefs listening to this, please hit me up with your recipes in the comments on my social media. But for now, let's step inside and learn more about the science around turmeric and learn how Dr. Mohan started down this road himself, research the, researching the effects of turmeric on our health, and also how he sees it fitting into one's lifestyle should you decide to try to incorporate it into yours. So I will see you inside. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Mohan. Thank you very much, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm super excited to have this conversation. As I mentioned in the intro, this is the first podcast episode I've done where we'll discuss what I think of as more as an alternative medicine or food um, and that's turmeric or the juice that we can extract from it. Um, but I do think that based on the research I've read, this really is an important conversation. And as a scientist myself, I'm very clear that one person's anecdotal experience does not make for a study. And I know that we both have had positive experiences in consuming turmeric. And for me, it's really what led me to dig into the data and I was surprised with what I found, especially around anti-inflammation and inflammatory cytokines. So I'm excited to discuss that today, but I would love if we could start with your story. So could you tell us the story of how you ended up consuming turmeric and then becoming an entrepreneur as a result of this experience? And then after that, we can dig into some foundational terminology and get into the data around turmeric and inflammation. Uh, well, you know, and thank you for thank you for the question. Turmeric is one of those things where I really had no uh, knowledge of the of the root. Uh, you know, someone from South Asian Southeast Asian descent, we you know we grew up drinking uh, turmeric either as a tea sometimes or even having it within our within our foods. But really, the beneficial effects of it were lost on me for for the vast majority of my life. Really, it wasn't until about two thousand sixteen. Uh, when I had some uh, an episode of chest pain, the episode of chest pain took me into the hospital, 
And as a physician, I was able to get some of my colleagues to look into me. And what we found was that I had a massive amount of inflammation around my heart. I had something called myocarditis. And with the myocarditis uh, on MRI, the heart was extremely inflamed. The heart was dilated. Uh, and my ejection fraction, which is the amount of blood pumped out uh, for a given heartbeat, was dramatically reduced. We didn't know at the time what the cause was, but all we knew is that we had a tremendous amount of uh, inflammation. So like any good physician does, and myself and my wife, you know, one too many Netflix episodes, we see, oh, juicing. Juicing is the thing that you need to do. Everybody's juicing it, juicing, so let's juice. What are we going to juice? So then we said, let's start juicing. There's this thing called ginger and turmeric, and apparently it's good for inflammation, so let's let's just try doing that. So that's really what started. It was really not, we weren't looking for anything. We didn't go out of our way. And slowly what we found was that as we started to consume the uh, the turmeric and ginger juice, and this was really over a period of six weeks uh, after I was initially diagnosed, um, what we noticed is that after the six weeks, when I got my follow-up, follow-up imaging, there was really a dramatic change in the appearance uh, of my heart on MRI. So what we found was that the inflammation had dramatically reduced, and we noticed that my function had started to improve as well. And this is in the absence of any significant medications that I was put on at the time. Fast forward, this was back in 2016, so fast forward to where we are now. Um, My wife and I currently are still consuming a relatively uh, high dose of turmeric and ginger juice. We have it on a sort of daily basis. And what we've noticed is that uh, through my follow-up imaging with my heart, uh, really the the level of inflammation is nearly zero. Um, And then basically my heart function has sort of stabilized to, to a sort of a normal value. And really, like as you mentioned before, sometimes these N of 1 studies, as my cardiologist says, these N of 1 studies, they're, they're more anecdotal. Um, but what it speaks to, it speaks to the, the variability in humans of who we are. So everybody will react differently uh, to different levels, to different both medications, sort of whether it's nutrition-based or pharmaceutical-based. And I think what's important for us is to find that mix of both uh, nutritional as well as pharmaceutical um, approach to, to eating and living that sort of works best for us. So it was on the basis of that that uh, we started getting involved in the, the turmeric uh, juice uh, pathway. Interesting. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful story. So I can see why uh, your interest remained and, and grew. Um, before we keep digging in, I, I know that we're going to be talking about turmeric and inflammation. And I always think it's super important um, because there's a diverse audience listening. So maybe some are exercise physiologists, maybe some have nothing to do with science. So I was hoping that you could um, kind of speak to maybe the difference, you know, we hear the term inflammation thrown a lot around a lot, the difference between chronic inflammation and uh, acute inflammation. And then even in case we end up speaking about inflammatory cytokines, what are those? So just to kind of set some terminology. Yeah, so this is a, this is a really broad question, right? And uh, really, to truly understand it, you really need a very broad-based understanding of uh, immunology, right? And perhaps if we just separate it, we'll, we'll, we'll separate down into two components. We'll, we'll separate it in the, in the context of chronic disease, and then we'll separate it in the other context of uh, exercise. So in the context of chronic disease, what we know from from really an abundance of medical literature is that there are many uh, chronic diseases, in particular uh, coronary artery disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and of course uh, arthritis. Uh, We know that these disease processes, uh, the underpinnings prior to the full thrust of the disease is a period of chronic inflammation. Specifically with uh, coronary artery disease, it's well established that there's a preceding phase of chronic inflammation within the coronary vasculature that precedes sort of the coronary artery disease uh, proper. So from our perspective, we know that a state of chronic inflammation, which is a state where the the inflammation goes on unabated and uncontrolled, leads to chronic disease. Now, in the case of exercise, uh, and this will we'll get to what are the dif- difference between acute and versus chronic. In the case of exercise, one of the most interesting things is that when we exercise, there is you know a beneficial effect to inflammation. So we exercise, we we work our muscles, and what happens is there's that period of 
sort of immediately after we start, immediately after we have the workout, where our muscle is undergoing a reparative process. And during that reparative process, uh, there's an acute inflammatory event or there's acute inflammation, which actually is beneficial. And it's the body's responding to that stress, right? However, both in the cases of the aging and elderly person with chronic disease or in the case of the athlete, when that period of uh, inflammation uh, goes beyond the, the ability of the body's uh, means of handling it, it goes into a chronic state. And basically, you are no longer in that healthy phase of inflammation. You're actually in a more uh, unhealthy phase of inflammation. And that's when it proceeds towards chronic inflammation. So in the case of athletes, for many of them, that sort of manifests in what we call the delayed onset muscle soreness, which is that, that chronic soreness, that chronic fatigue uh, that just sort of is around the muscles all the time. And basically, it doesn't matter how much rest they get, uh, they're really feeling a lot of tightness and soreness and pain. And for the professional athletes, that's where we sort of we're trying to target them at that point. So we're trying to sort of preserve the beneficial effects of the acute inflammation. But for many of them, after they've had a season of really just punishing their body, uh, they're very susceptible for the chronic effects of uh, delayed onset muscle soreness. So what yeah. happens under these inflammatory states, just to answer your original, under these inflammatory states, we know that inflammatory chemicals, sort of is called inflammatory cytokines, in particular uh, TNF-alpha, uh, TNF interleukin-6, and interleukin-8, uh, they are released as our body is trying to, to sort of mediate this inflammatory response. And what we have found in some of the literature, not what we have found, what we've what has been discovered in the literature is that in particular, some of these cytokines, uh, their levels can be mitigated by varying levels of both curcumin and gingerol, the active mm -hmm. ingredients in ginger and turmeric. No, that's great. Thanks so much for, for clarifying that. I'm sure that'll be really useful moving forward as we discuss inflammation. Um, you said something interesting in there about, you know, the for an athlete, that acute inflammation, you know, serves a purpose. So for an athlete to, for example, supplement with turmeric all of the time, do you see any negative ramifications from dampening that post-exercise inflammation? You know, that's a question that the literature is out on. And I think if you were to ask, if you were to ask exercise physiology or, or even just high-performance sports trainers across the board, um, They'll say, you know, like if, if we just continually give curcumin, is that going to blunt their adaptive response to, to exercise? And truthfully, I don't think I know the answer. And I don't think anybody knows the answer because those studies haven't been done, right? The, the, the studies haven't been done. I think that really a common sense approach should prevail, right? You know, from the research that we've done. So a lot of the research we've done is with uh, off-season NHL professional athletes. And what we have found is that, so there we see them. Uh, at the end of the season, so when they're in that reparative phase, and then as they go through that reparative phase to the prep phase for the following season. And for all the, the pro athletes who, who we have, uh, you know, taking curcumin supplementation for that six to eight week period, uh, none of them have ever reported a drop off in performance. You know, so for example, the, the trainers, if they, if for a moment in time, they believed that they were getting a drop off in uh, their weight, in the sort of the, the weight that they could lift, the power, their endurance, they would not continue with this. But what they all report is that uh, it does improve their overall ability to recover and get on to the next exercise. Specifically, uh, when they're moving from both endurance based to strength based training, uh, it really makes a difference in just allowing them to recover uh, in the interval. Yeah, super interesting. Let's keep pulling on that thread about your your research with the NHL. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, what that research looked like? Yeah, sure. So we've started, this is we're probably in our third year now. We started working with um, a high-performance uh, trainer. His name is Matt Nickel. He's done a lot of work with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, he was the founder of BioSteel. Uh, and Matt and I met uh probably about three or four years ago now. And Matt was really intrigued by some of the work uh, based on the product that we had created. Uh, and he was really intrigued, not so much, so more so, more so with uh, the approach that we were taking to developing our supplement, but also uh, how we were trying to do it in a more sort of research-based approach. Now, you know, research with uh, professional athletes is no easy task. It's a very, it's like herding cats, uh, <laughs> just just getting them to sort of uh, be compliant. But what we did for 
for the first two years, uh, we would uh, every day we would go in and we would make uh, a ginger and turmeric juice drink for them, and they would drink it uh, after their after their workout. Now, this was over the first two years, and at that point in time, we were really just looking to get a sense. You know, one, you know, would people would players tolerate this? One and two, just gestalt. How were they feeling? Did they feel a sense of? Uh, did they feel better? Did they have more energy and did they feel less soreness? And these were really the three questions that they would ask. And the, you know, the first few studies were very much qualitatively based. Do we have, uh, you know, do we have something here that people will consume? You know, at the end of the first year, we realized that definitely we have something here because everybody said it, you know, it tastes a bit strong, but, you know, it, we felt, uh, we felt better overall. They couldn't really quantify how they felt better, but we mm-hmm. felt better overall, um, and in addition to that, uh, I felt a little bit less sore. So what we did for the subsequent two years of trials is that we asked, we said, let's get a little bit more quanti- quantitative. So what we did is we created scales where we said, ask athletes to identify where, uh, you know, where on a scale of one to 10 would they describe their muscle soreness? And they would simply put an X and then basically we'd quantify where they were at the beginning, prior, and then at the end of six weeks. Uh, and what we noticed uh, after that was at the end of the six weeks, um, you know, of the we had 10, 10 guys uh, actually part start, start the trial, but what we noticed was that there were significant differences uh, before and after in their whole body uh, soreness. So when we when we accumulated the data from the different body parts, so we used chest, biceps, back, quads, hams, and calves, and we just said let's look at all the the reported measures before and after, and there were significant uh, reduction uh, after six weeks of the. Uh, curcumin supplementation and in addition to that we found that it was predominantly within the biceps and the uh, chest muscles where we know they noticed the most uh, improvement in uh, muscle soreness anecdotally what we found too is that a lot of them reported that their ability to transition to you know so oftentimes they would do a weight training phase and then they'd go to an endurance phase so a lot of work on the ice and they did notice that their uh, on ice work was much higher was better in quality mm-hmm. uh, once they were on the supplementation, they just weren't as sore and they were just able to sort of perform better. Mm-hmm. Anecdotally, they report that their energy is improved, but I have no data and nor do I have a scientific explanation to how curcumin could improve uh, oxygen transport. Yeah. So more recently now, we started with a trial. Uh, it started last year and it's continuing this year where we have an entire team. So we're, we are working with the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, they're an OHL hockey team. And what we're looking at is uh, over a course of a season, uh, how does how does curcumin supplementation change their sort of overall their uh, endurance? Uh, not so not so much endurance, their muscle soreness. So, for mm-hmm. example, we were doing uh, quantitative measurements at the beginning, middle, and the end of the season, just to get a sense of can we maintain a state of low uh, soreness over the course of the season and into the playoffs. Um, but then, more importantly, we're looking at. Uh, how does this supplementation affect days off due to injury, days off due to sickness? Mm-hmm. And sort of these sort of ancillary side benefits in addition to just I feel better, but quantitatively, am I off less because of injury? Am I off less during uh, due to soreness? So this is the type of research that we're working on. Right, We're sort of right in the middle. We started last season. We're going to continue this season. Um, and then we're going to move uh, and sort of try and continue with the research. Mm-hmm. Super interesting because also like a very intense sport as well with the mix of both uh, cardiovascular and, and the weight training. When you were doing these studies um, and even now, what kind of, uh, can you, you know, give a quantified answer to this? What dose of uh, turmeric ginger juice are you using? So it's one of these things where as, you know, that's a real sort of the, a real can of worms, right? Because the challenge is that Everybody will, if you if you just type up curcumin on the internet or, or turmeric, everybody will have a a formulation that works, a formulation that's available, uh, and it, it's really one of those things where I think you have to move back to a first principles approach, which is how we've 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 tried to build our our approach to how we want to deliver uh, the product that we have, and essentially uh, from our perspective. Uh, Turmeric is best taken in the form closest to the way at which it is produced out of the ground. Okay, mm-hmm. so if, if if we imagine for a moment how let's imagine how some of these products are created. We have curcumin, a turmeric that comes as a root out of the ground. 
once it's taken out of the ground, uh, it's dried, right? After it's dried, it's broken up, and then some pieces are, are sent back into the field where they're sown for more growth of the turmeric. After we have the turmeric uh, roots, they're sliced up, they're ground up, they're dehydrated, and then they're converted into a powder. When they're converted into a powder, they're again, they're exposed to heat. So what happens is for many of the formulations that are available right now, let's, if we talk about it, it's as a, as a powder form. Usually this powder form is a product that has been really overly uh, processed and overly synthesized to sort of maximize the nutritional uh, yield, but really you need a lot of it to actually have a sustained benefit, right? Because it's just a lot of the, the product has been uh, lost due to the processing that has gone on with it. Mm -hmm. One of the common things that you hear with curcumin is that, are there things that we can do to make it more bioavailable? And bioavailability of curcumin is like, it's the, it's the biggest hot topic because people will say, okay, well, you know, our formulation of curcumin is encapsulated in a specific uh, micro uh, nanoparticle capsule that basically will allow it to be absorbed faster. Or our own, you know, you have to have it with black pepper because the black pepper improves the bioavailability. The truth of the matter is, is that really the best way to, to consume uh, turmeric is in the closest form to how it's produced in the ground, as I said earlier. And that's because in that form, the volatile oils, which are really the oils in between the root and the actual fruit itself, sort of in the, uh, the, the skin, sorry, the skin and the root itself, those volatile oils are there. And because it's uh, absorbed better with fats, those alone will give you a tremendous sort of, they will give you enough of a, of a carrier molecule to allow the curcumin to be uh, absorbed. But the moment that we apply heat, as is the case with many of our processing methods, those volatile oils are removed. So once those volatile oils have been removed, then it becomes, okay, so how are we going to improve the bioavailability? So there's the one completely pharmaceutical approach is, well, let's just create vectors with that we can encapsulate it and then it'll absorb better. And truthfully, those probably will absorb well because they've been pharma pharmacologically tested to do that. The addition of the piperidine or the black pepper, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's been based on some studies that have said, you know what, if we improve it, it improves the bioavailability of it. But what they've done in those same studies is they said, if they gave if they gave the supplement with the skin still on, they had similar benefits of absorption. So the, the truth of the matter is when people say, do I need to, do I need to add uh, black pepper? If it's not going to harm you, sure. Is it going to dramatically imp improve your uh, bioavailability? It may, but is it absolutely necessary? No. If it depends on the source of where you get it. If you're just, if you're producing your curcumin juice yourself, you take the root, you peel it, you press it, and you're drinking it straight, you're good. But the moment you start applying a lot of heat to it, then you start sort of tapering off in terms of the bioavailability. Okay, so that's good. I was going to ask you that if you're juicing it, you juice it with the skin and all by the sounds of it. And then does it, is there a threshold where adding some more fat would help? Or is it just as is, is optimal? We don't know that data yet. Mm. Right. We, we don't know that data. Right. And that's really, you know, that was a study that we had teed up to do where we actually what we wanted to do was we wanted to combine ginger and turmeric juice with MCT oil. OK. And then put, and, and say, how does that compare to how does that compare to uh, sort of without without the MCT oil or even just, you know, I personally have taken the curcumin and juice and mixed it with margarine, sort of olive oil margarine, and I spread it on butter, right? And to see, well, does that improve it? And, you know, these are all things that we believe that if we were to add the curcumin, uh, sorry, the turmeric juice to uh, whether it's an MCT oil or an olive oil butter or a coconut butter to use as a spread, that it actually will improve the, uh, the carryability. But that, you know, it's definitely not going to harm you. Um, and it definitely will, will, will improve things, but the extent of which it does, I, I just don't think we know that, right? And and how does how do you compare? It's like comparing how do you compare one orange to you know three tablets of vitamin C, right? You it's very hard to to make that comparison, and oftentimes, you know, I can't tell you that having three oranges a day is better than having you know ten thousand units of vitamin C, but it's up to you that if you say if I want my nutrition to come from whole foods, then I'll choose the three oranges. If I just want something quick and I just need the vitamin C because I need it right away, then I'll just take it. From my perspective, 
let's deal with the inflammation. And if right now you want to, you want to take curcumin to help deal with your, uh, your chronic inflammation, take it in a format and take it in a means that works best for you. For me, the, the most natural way, the better, but everybody's different. At least you're doing something to deal with your inflammation because that's really the issue, right? Yeah, and it makes me think about um, some research I've seen on beet juice, uh, beet juice versus taking straight up nitrates, and that there seems to be some symbiotic uh, positives from you know the matrix of the food that were seen um, in those studies that they weren't seeing um, with just the straight up nitrates. But you know that's always an interesting question. All of the other elements in the food, the way it comes together, you know, is there something to that versus just popping something individually? Um, I think. Yeah, and if I can just, if I, and, I, and I think there's a hundred percent truth to that, right? Because, um, you know, specifically with with beet juice, because we do uh, we do a lot of work with beet juice and nitrates as well. But, you know, understanding, you know, when you're dealing with products that are meant to, uh, for in the case of beets, you know, increase uh, oxidative, uh, you know, mitochondrial oxidation and rest and cellular respiration. When you're dealing with chemicals that are dealing with cellular respiration, right? You know, on the one hand, you could say, "Well, we're going to pharmacologically give nitrates," and and really, you have to be careful because you're, you're you're starting in like we're giving nitrates, we're giving uh, nitric oxide, and there's there's strong blood pressure effects that you can that you can that you can create, which is not what you're looking for with beet juice supplementation, right? With 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 beet soup, with beet juice supplementation, what you're trying to do. You know, and this is where I think the literature is slowly changing on beet juice supplementation is that. You know, from from my understanding of it, uh, much of the early literature was based upon acute supplementation. So, really, take high doses of uh, beet juice. Uh, you know, in the in the weeks or even days preceding a race, tastes horrible, but you're you're gonna you're gonna increase your inorganic nitrates within the system, and that's gonna give you that sort of nitric oxide uh, vasodilatory effect over time over the when the event comes. I think the challenge with that is that it's a, it's a very transient effect. And I yeah. think that for where, where I think that the, the, the movement towards this, and this is what we are trying to do, is we're really trying to move towards having something that can induce a chronic adaptive process within the mitochondria itself. So, a, you know, so you have beet juice supplementation over time. You don't necessarily need it as much. But by doing it over time, the mitochondrial machinery, right, is actually adapting. And that's mm -hmm. what you want because you, you want that over, you want that longitudinal effect, not just the effect of I have a race on Sunday. So on Friday, I'm going to start uh, juicing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense also from a, a training perspective. I mean, if you can elevate your performance, why would you not also want to elevate it during a training phase instead of only during race phase? Like that doesn't really make sense to me. And that never did. So if you're noticing an improvement of performance, wouldn't you want that while you're training? Because then you would be training that much harder, which means, you know, you might perform even better. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, you mentioned that you mix your turmeric with ginger. Can you speak a bit to why why ginger? Why are you mixing well, it? Well, ginger is like turmeric. Ginger is another, uh, another uh, root that has anti-inflammatory as well as antioxidant effects. You know, truthfully, from our perspective, it was it was basically from palatability, okay. because because it really is it's a flavor that's familiar to people, um, and basically we wanted to create something that allowed people to actually have a taste, uh, taste something that was actually able to consume on a regular basis. Because right. for for us, it, you know, speaking back to the to your last point, it was never really about have something, you have a cold, I'm not feeling too well. Like many of the products out there, I'm not feeling too well. Let me go to Whole Foods, pick up the flu fighter shot. I'll take three of these, drink them, and I'll feel better in three days. It was never about that. For mm -hmm. us, it was is how do we build habits? How do we build routines uh, with people? So in order to do that, we had to create a product that uh, had, effect, had uh, efficacy, but also had a taste profile that people would say, oh, it's a bit strong, but I can get accustomed to it. And, mm -hmm. and, and sort of build into their routine. So I think from that perspective, it, it was part of the flavor profile, but more importantly, it also, you know, ginger in and of itself has very powerful uh, anti-inflammatory antioxidant effects. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I have a question. So you kind of mentioned, you know, it's all about like the bigger picture 
and maybe having the uh, turmeric shots on, on a regular basis. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, well, I have a juicer and I can buy turmeric, like, how much how much do I need to juice? How much do I need to drink? Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of these things where, you know, a lot of people ask me, uh, you know, you know, how much is enough? Can I drink too much? And how much is not enough? And to be honest, the FDA studies on overdosing on, on, on turmeric, <laughs> I don't even think they're there. Like, I don't think there's a safety threshold. Like, there, there, there really is uh, very few risks associated with overconsumption, okay? But I'll say that with in parentheses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing to, to note is that we do know that curcumin in and of itself uh, is a, an anticoagulant. So if, if uh, we have clients who are, you know, on blood thinners or even if they're going in for surgery, we say, you know what? Don't take any in the weeks preceding it, and then in the weeks after it, take a break, and then start back after as part of your recovery, right? Because we do we do know it it does thin your blood, which under most circumstances is a positive thing, right? Uh, but there are some situations where you, where you may not necessarily want that. In terms of the person who says, "I have a juicer and I have I have some turmeric," how much do I need to drink? The answer is, is like I said before, so it's like. Do it to what you can. What you can do. If you're willing to 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 peel it or to press it and to to juice it and to drink it and make your own shots and drink it every every day, five days a week, three days a week, I think you just have to go for it, right? The challenge is just staying to the routine, and that's what you have to do. So whatever you can can do as a routine, it will benefit you. Uh, it's just about uh, sometimes it's it's hard for people to maintain that discipline. Uh, so for for us, we say, you know, make it part of your weekday discipline because everybody's weekday and weekend disciplines sometimes they're different. So we say, uh, and, and for us, for much of the research that we've done, we've kept it to uh, weekday discipline type patterns, and okay. and, it's, and and people have really found tremendous benefits, uh, you know, with sort of just sticking through it for uh, during the week. And have the um, NHL players been taking it so three three times a week? So they take the it. Yeah, they take it between three to five times a week. Okay. Yeah, they take it between three to five times a week. Uh, and during that period of week, they're training probably about three to four hours a day, every day. Okay. So they're, so they're, real, they're really pushing it. So you spoke a little bit about um, how you almost denature the turmeric by heating it and all the processing when you make turmeric powder. What I've noticed on a lot of products is that they have turmeric extract so I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Like, what's the quality of turmeric extract? So to, again, so turmeric extract, it's like, I don't know much about it, but I know a lot of, you know, from the perspective of anything that's extracted would almost certainly be of a higher concentration value, right? Okay. So I know that there are turmeric products on the market where, without leaving any names, you could you literally could just take a couple drops of water, a couple drops, drop it in your water, and it's like the equivalent of having X amount of, you know, pow- grams of uh, the turmeric root. Like anything, you know, anything that has been extracted, it's gone through a tremendous processing uh, phase, right? And in in getting there, you know, to your to your point, you lose, uh, you may gain the sort of the concentration of the of the product that you're really looking for, but you may lose some of the additional benefits. So, from my perspective, I think that. I think again, if this is the only way that you're going to be able to consume this, you're going to like as you you just said, just I just want a couple of drops. I don't want to taste anything. I just want a couple of drops to throw it in, and that's how you want to manage your chronic inflammation. Then I think that's wonderful. But that, but because at least you're dealing with your inflammation. Mm-hmm. Can can I tell you that you know the, the turmeric extract versus raw ginger and turmeric juice? Can I tell you that two drops is equal to this amount of juice? We can't make that. Can I tell you that one will be more, the one that will be more effective will be the one where the person sticks to it right? and it's, and it's consistent with it. And one of the amazing things, and, and you, and I'm sure many of your, your audience can appreciate this, is that oftentimes when we, when we build habits in our lives, it's the other habits that follow along with those that actually have tremendous beneficial effects. So what we call them like sort of like the pleiotropic effects, right? So if you say, okay, so in the morning, I'm going to take my two drops of turmeric extract and then, you know, drop it in my water, I'll drink it. And then I'm going to go have my Tim's muffin, my double, double, (laughs) right? 
right? And then, and then, and then I'm going to go to the gym, and then I'm going to do something else. It's different than saying, okay, so in the morning, part of my ritual is I'm going to have my my juice or my tea in some way, and then I'm going to do that, and I'm going to make something else. And oftentimes, the habits that we build around our our rituals and our routines, uh, that actually has a tremendous overall effect. That's that's, that's just as powerful. So for 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 me. Uh, the quick fix, uh, while the quick fix is what at certain times in our lives we just want something to get it done, then then do it. But I think that as we move towards sort of something that's sustainable, that'll have the greatest impact, I think we move towards sort of habit forming that sort of allows us to build sort of a collection of positive habits uh, around them. Yeah, and it's much more of like a, a preventative point of view than uh, putting out the fires when they've already yeah. happened, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, which makes a lot of sense. I read a really interesting study in um, 2021 that looked to answer the question of whether turmeric extract was as safe and effective as paracetamol at reducing osteoarthritis. So they were looking at pain and physical function as outcomes. And they were really super interesting results. Essentially, there was no difference um, in the pain and function scores between those groups, uh, between the groups taking turmeric actually had uh, more significant reductions in CRP and TNF, which you had mentioned earlier um, for the uh, TNF as the inflammatory cytokine. To me, that was really interesting and, you know, a really well done study as well. Um, because we know that uh, I, I was one of these people and that's why I'm so interested in turmeric. Like I was taking Advil every day until I started taking turmeric and I kid you not. And again, I'm N equals one, but this is the first time I've shared this because I've been really hesitant because I'm not, I'm not one to push supplements or whatnot, but I have told so many people about it because I know that living with pain is really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, and now I don't take Advil every day. So this, when I saw this study, I thought, Oh, wow, that's incredible. I'm just curious. Did you read that? And what do you think about it? You know what? It's one of these things where um, I, I, I did read, I read, I read bits and pieces of it. And I can tell you that I'm, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's you know, deconstructing the current, current medical practice as a, as a physician in Western medicine is complicated. It's complicated. And we have been trained for decades, for decades on how to manage disease, right? We have not been trained on how to prevent disease. And the reasons that we haven't been trained that way is, is complicated, but some of it, and some of it is political, some of it is pharmacopolitical. Um, but if we, start, if we sort of break, if we separate all that out and say, okay, can we find a way where we can, we can combine the traditional aspects of treating with Western medicine, but also preventing medicine, like preventative healthcare. And I think that if we have an approach where we can, we can look through both lenses to a problem, then we can say, okay, so you know, with arthritis, with osteoarthritis, for example, somebody with severe arthritis who really is at the stages where they're end stage, they need to get a hip replacement, there's no amount of curcumin that will, e that will ease the pain, okay? <laughs> yeah. There, there's no amount, okay? Um, and in that case, they may need Advil, among many other things. But if you have somebody who is in the early phases of the disease, like the really early phases of the like, ah, just I'm, I'm noticing that my joints are feeling a bit stiff or I'm feeling this pain in this one particular area. Because you can imagine you have the erosion of the cartilage. And when you have the erosion of the cartilage, you, have, you just have much more frictional forces on the joints. Those, that frictional force will cause inflammation. It'll cause the release of inflammatory cytokines. So if you have a way that can on a regular basis just sort of like, you know, tamp down that fire, put that ease down. You may be able to sort of stave off that inflammatory sort of cascade so that, at that you know, maybe instead of needing two Advils a day, you need one Advil a week. And I think from the perspective of how do we understand the interplay between nutrition and uh, sort of traditional pharmaceuticals, I don't think we have to, it's not a, it's not a and or. Right? It's one of these situations where it says, okay, if we can, using the two together, sort of have, say, nutrition first, nutrition as medicine first, then pharmacology as medicine, then we can sort of understand what is the relationship between them and sort of 
sort of save the big guns for when we need them, but try as hard as we can to sort of mitigate the effects uh, nutritionally. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, when you take something like turmeric as, uh, let's just say in this case, as a shot or a juice, does it accumulate in your body? Like, is there an amount of time before you might start to notice, um, oh, wow, you know, I'm feeling a little less achy, a little less sore, or is it something that you would notice um, quickly? So again, this goes back to your initial question about, you know, bioavailability and how much do you need and what's the quantity and what's the dosing. And it's such a, it's such a, uh, a question that we don't really have the answers to. And it's one of these things where you know it when you do it yourself, right? You know what works for you. I can tell you that from our experience, it's not, as I said earlier, it's not Red Bull. You know, yeah. when, you when you take it, it's not going to be like you take it today and then by the afternoon, you're like, oh my gosh, I feel completely <laughs> different. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to be like vitamin C, where for vitamin C, you could take vitamin C for 10 years and you'll never know if you've taken vitamin C, right? You'll never know, <laughs> right. right? Or vitamin D or, yeah. or even multivitamins, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can tell you from the experience of the people I've, I've talked to, usually within about three or four weeks, uh, people start feeling different. And the weird thing about it is that why they, what I say they feel different is that they don't necessarily know where their inflammation is coming from, right? Because everybody has, you know, there's overt inflammation, i.e. my bones, my joints, and that, and that will start to subside. But for many other people, whether it's gut, whether it's muscular, they don't know where the inflammation is coming from. But after three or four weeks, they start to feel, say, oh, something feels different. Something feels better. I, I don't know. And then they start attributing it to everything else. Um, and then... Uh, and then when they realize, oh, maybe it's maybe it's the, the curcumin supplementation, then they say, oh, maybe that's what it was. And then they come off of it because they can't believe that that's what it is. And then and then they realize, oh no, it actually was that that was helping. So usually I find three or four weeks, uh, people start to see an effect, and then it sort of tapers off. If you stop after about two or three weeks, you say, oh no, I I can notice it. So for many I did people, that, by the way, yeah. Yeah, I stopped because uh, I didn't stop on purpose. But when I stopped, um, it ended up being for about three weeks. And again, I'm just one person, but that's exactly what happened. I was like, right, that's what right. changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, and that's and that's hard to it's hard to sort of everybody's every good everybody's going to be a, a little bit different for sure. I was going to ask you, uh, and, and I'm going to going to guess based on all the answers so far that the answer is we don't know, uh, but. Are there any sex differences? Has there been any research? Are there any sex differences? As f there must be sex differences. Right? There must be sex differences. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't know them. And, and right. we, don't, we don't know them because you know, right? 99% of the, we're at 99, you know, we don't practice gender specific and or ethnocentric healthcare, right? So we can mm -hmm. say that there's going to be sex differences. Yes. Are there going to be differences among different uh, races? Sure. There could mm -hmm. be, right? Mm -hmm. And how, and how it's processed. We, you know, we don't, we don't know that. Yeah. I uh, guess I was, I was wondering, had there been studies done comparing um, reductions in, let's say, inflammatory markers uh, looking at male? female. Yeah. I am not, I don't, I'm sure there must be, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking truthfully. I'm sure yeah. there must be, um, but I don't know. Yeah. Right. And, and For I think sure. that just like, just like how, you know, in terms of where we're, we are with the effect of curcumin, you know, on, in broad healthcare, people are still trying to find where is it going to fit before. So before we even get to the gender, we see like, what right. are we actually, what are we actually trying to solve? Right. There's a, there's a, there's a huge growing body of literature in oncology. Right? And where does it, where does it fit in the cancer management? Right. Because we know that cancer is mediated by a lot of inflammation, both in the disease process, but it's also in the treatment process. Uh, you know, is it going to fit? Is, so is it going to be, is there going to be a player in the oncology field is it going to be a player in the uh inflammatory field so the sort of the you know, the diseases that are really manifested by infl uh, infl chronic inflammation uh, the chronic diseases so it's one of those things where i think we're still trying to figure out 
you know, what is its role? Because there's there's some studies that say it's having an effect, some, some that say it doesn't have an effect. But I think a lot of that will just take time for them to tease out, you know, in terms of the dosing. And, you know, the questions that you're asking are, are all legitimate questions, right? Like how, how and how much and where and when and, and what is the best way to consume it? And I, but I think I think we're still a far away from getting sort of really definitive uh, definitive answers on that. Yeah, no, that's fair. Thank you. And I'm curious, what is the reception from the medical field here um, about turmeric versus uh, Western medicine? So I think it depends on who you speak to, right? So there are some, you know, there are some physicians who are, you know, they're very entrenched in their their views, their beliefs. And they tend to just say, hogwash, it's not going to do anything. I think for the majority of physicians, they're from the perspective of, if it's not going to harm you, then we're okay. As long as you're doing it and taking it and consuming it in a manner that's not harmful, then I'm okay with you consuming it. When I've spoken to my own physicians who take care of me from my heart, they're just like, Ravi, it's an end of one study, just keep doing what you're doing, right? So from, from my perspective, I think that, again, until it gets, you know, nutrition is one of the most least taught aspects of the uh, medical school curriculum. So until we can get to nutrition and prevention as part of how we deliver healthcare, I think it's still, it's, it's always going to be a struggle because the, the, the whole prevention aspect uh, of healthcare is not something that physicians uh, reflexly have knowledge about. For many physicians, their their preventative healthcare strategy comes with you know eat more greens and exercise more, and that and that's it. And that's yeah. how when you say I don't want to start taking this medication, they say okay, well lose twenty pounds, exercise more, and eat some more vegetables. But if not, you come back in three months. We're going to start you on A, B, C, D, and E. And and unfortunately, that's their approach, and that's because that's how they've been taught. Whereas I think until we get into the curriculum that like, no, when we're from a much younger age, we have to tell our patients, this is the strategy. This is how we have to mitigate what was on the horizon so that we built, we build prevention into our uh, delivery of healthcare. Right. I, I saw recently in the USA that uh, the curriculum is changing for medical school with a, a bigger focus on nutrition. Yeah. Which is great, great news to hear. Where I know you're um, doing your research with the Ontario hockey team that you had mentioned. Um, is there are there any other areas that you're planning to focus research on with turmeric? So I think one of the areas that we're trying to to focus on is actually on uh, sort of workplace, so sort of in the occupational in the occupational uh, setting. So when you have uh, like work uh, warehouse workers. Uh, construction workers, uh, tradesmen, tradeswomen, uh, fields where there's a lot of repetitive work and repetitive um, uh, muscular activity, right? So they're just they're just doing a lot of uh, lifting and walking and moving. Um, and what we're looking to do in those populations is actually uh, do measurements of TNF alpha and CRP, interleukin six and interleukin eight in their blood, uh, sort of as a baseline, and then. Uh, you know, after six to eight weeks, these are pseudo follow-up measurements, and we'll have a control group who's on curcumin supplementation with the juice, and uh, another group that that's not, and then sort of across, and then a crossover after it. So I think that you know, among athletes, I think we've established that within the athletic population, it has, uh, it really has an amazing benefit. Uh, whether it's uh, you know, we work with hockey players, uh, pro boxers, uh, a lot of triathletes, uh, but I think that. You know the athletes we've we've established that so now it's sort of what about the people who are sort of just doing a lot of athletic work in their day to day job? So for example, we have for firefighters, and that's that's another group right. that we're working we're working with as well, right? So uh, I think there'll be a, it's one of these unique uh, uh, products or um, supplements that really transcends uh, age in that we're all suffering from inflammation. As I said earlier, we're all suffering from inflammation over the course of our life. It's just the sources. The source is different, mm -hmm. and that makes a lot of sense with uh, maybe workers doing repetitive movements as well, like with overuse in a factory setting too. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, yeah. chronic pain that uh, is happening in those settings. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of that, and there's a lot of self medication, right? <laughs> so there, yes. so so you know, for for us, one of the 
you know, if we can hear back feedback and people say, you know what, I find I'm using less, uh, less Advil, less Tylenol, then it's a win. Mm-hmm. Then it's a win because you, you, you save that, you're saving your liver, you're saving your, your gut. You know what I mean? These are, these are sort of ancillary benefits that we're able to sort of, uh, sort of help naturally. Absolutely. This has been super interesting. I'm glad we had this conversation because I feel like, um, you know, there's not a lot of quality information out there on turmeric unless you're someone that is going to find the research. And we know that not everyone is doing that. They're using Dr. Google and they're just reading whatever comes up, right? So it's it's really great to to speak with uh, a physician who who's really looking at this from a scientific point of view. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you think is important to discuss? No, you know, I think the only thing to, and, and we sort of reiterated it at the beginning, is that at the end of the day, anything is better than nothing, right? And I think if you start from the principle is that we know that being in a chronically inflamed state is not a good place to be as a human for human health, right? It's just not a healthy place to be. So if we start with that uh, understanding, then we have to say, well, what are the strategies that we can use to help mitigate that chronic inflammation? Curcumin is just one of those strategies. And I think that as long as we can get behind a strategy that works for you personally, I think we're on the right track. And build it into your daily routine, build it into a habit, such that you can just you can just see yourself doing this on a daily basis, and you'll notice over time you'll just the benefits will just come uh, uh, before you even know it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Um, the last question I always ask my guests is about uh, the title of my podcast, "Imperfect Progress," and I always have guests on that are talking about exercise physiology or sports science or, or health in general, and it's great to hear about. Um, your scientific discoveries, what you're working on. But I also know that you have a lot of life experience. Um, you're obviously a physician, a scientist, a professor, a parent, uh, you know, a husband and a father, so many things. And I have no doubt that throughout all of these uh, experiences in your life that you as well have had some imperfect progress and, and run into some adversity. And I always think it's really wonderful to hear from guests, like how how do you navigate through that? Because maybe someone is listening who is going through some adversity right now. And sometimes when we hear someone else's um, you know, ways of moving forward, uh, they can really resonate with, you know, even if it's just one person you might really um, resonate with today. So I'd love to ask you, how, how have you and how do you um, manage through that imperfect progress in life? Yeah, that's a tough, it's a tough question, right? And at the end of the day, you know, life, life is 100% imperfect, right? You know, we're, we're bombarded with the media and whether it's social media or even just talking to people, we're, we're, we're led to believe that life is perfect. But the, the, the reality is that, that we all know that life is, is just hell, right? And life, and life is very difficult. For me, what I have found, the single most, the single most important thing that has allowed me to even attempt to be uh, sort of competent as a father, as a spouse, as a physician, as a professor, as a small business owner. The single most important thing uh, is the quality of the relationships with the people I have around me. And whether it's, whether it's with my family, whether it's with my work colleagues, uh, and whether it's the people who I choose to do business with, I really try only to engage in people with people who really uh, we have common views, we think similarly, we support each other, and it's just it's just a very easy interaction. So that there is a very smooth interaction with those people, and it's, and it's kind of weird, almost like how we met. And that's just, I, I that sort of translates to even to to clients or people like I may I may have a. I'm selling a ginger and turmeric juice. I'm a physician from downtown Toronto. I'll drive to your to somebody's house, but it's not just I'm not just dropping off a product. Thank you. It's 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 all about relationships, and and for me, just having high quality uh, relationships makes the world of difference and just makes life that much more. Because you can't control, you know, the classic right. You can't control the world around you, but you can only control your response to it. So from my perspective, if you have a strong group of people around you, you become resilient to deal with all the stuff that's happening, right? 
And uh, for me, I, and that's what I work on. I work on just trying to make the lives of those people around me as good as possible every day. Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you. And I have to say, I, I was absolutely floored when you told me that you deliver your shots in person. Yeah. I was like, this is a busy man and he's taking the time to do this. That's really incredible. And yeah, it's, it speaks volumes. Um, I really appreciate your time here today. I think this is a very useful conversation and I hope that everyone listening um, has just a greater understanding uh, that you know, turmeric has some science behind it and it's not just a, a, a fluffy you know, one of the billion dollar products on the shelf. And, and I really wanted to have an opportunity to, to get that across. And, and based on my own experience and your experience, um, you know, I know enough people now that have, have really noticed. And to me, it just became like, okay, I, I want to talk about this. And like yourself, like it's important for me to, to have credible um, information. So it's not a small thing for me to do a whole podcast on turmeric, but after learning enough about it, I thought, yeah, there's, there's some good science out there. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and obviously um, adding that credibility as well. Where can people learn more about your product? Can you just maybe tell me the name and website and where people can follow you and your work as well? Well, where you can follow me, I don't know. Yeah, you can actually follow us on Instagram at Root Rescue Wellness. Um, but you can check us out on our uh, website at www.rootrescuewellness.com. You know, there you'll be able to find information about uh, both the research that we're doing, some of the testimonials from some of the professional athletes and the partnerships that we have. And if you'd like to try the product or you'd like more information, uh, feel free to reach out at that point. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Talk to you later. Take care. Thank you so much for listening. I always enjoy conversations with Dr. Mohan. He has such a beautiful philosophy around health, which always includes quality relationships and movement. And I think with all of the research I've read about this on the power of social bonds, um, he's definitely on the right path with that philosophy because, you know, you can have the best diet in the world, but that in itself is not really everything that composes your health. Right, So I like to think of health as a pie where there needs to be many contributing pieces and including social interaction and quality relationships um, is definitely one of those pieces. Now, as far as turmeric, I myself have used Dr. Mohan's shots for a year now. And more recently, I started also juicing my own shots. Let me give you a little heads up on that. I learned that it's really gluey on your machine. So that was a surprise to me. I went to clean my machine after I juiced it and it was as if there was glue on it. So I really had to give it a good scrubbing with a brush. Um, also, it really stains your hands and your countertops. So let me spare you that staining and maybe recommend some gloves or definitely cover your countertops, especially if they're um, a beautiful light color or anything that, that could end up ugly. Um, but besides that, it's amazing. I've been mixing mine with ginger and orange juice, which tastes amazing. But I did drink the Harmony Shots from Root Rescue Wellness um, exclusively for a year. And I just had them instead of tea every night. And again, I know that my experience is uh, anecdotal, right? I've had an excellent, ex excellent experience um, with turmeric shots. I had a concussion in 2018 that has left me with symptoms and this was the first time I felt some incredible relief from those symptoms so that was a surprise to me. That's not why I took the turmeric. Um, I took it for my neck pain because I do have some chronic neck pain and I kid you not, it, it changed my life and that is why I dug into this and am really keen to share the science around it. And again, that is my experience. I am not saying that you will have the same experience, um, you know, that's anecdotal, but there are some good data out there and I think it, it's an important topic to have discussions about. And as always, none of my podcasts replace any medical advice. So please speak with your physician. If you're on medications, as Dr. Mohan spoke about during the podcast, uh, make sure there are no contraindications with consuming turmeric juices or any other juices for that matter. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you being here. I would love it if you could take a moment and hop over to Apple or Spotify and rate my podcast. 
leave a comment. What did you think about the episode? What did you learn? I love reading those. Also, share it on your favorite social media platform. Tell people what you learned. You can tag me on Twitter at Guzman Nutrition, on Instagram at Guzman Ann, and I am Ann Guzman on Facebook and LinkedIn. I love learning who you are out there listening, so I appreciate those comments. My goal is always to bring quality science to the masses, and that is in order to overcome Oh, so much pseudoscience that's drowning our social media feeds. So any way that you can help me on that quest, I really appreciate it. I invest a lot of time into this um, because it feels like my purpose and I believe it's important. So I hope this brings you some clarity to the current science around turmeric and inflammation. I will definitely follow up on this topic in a year as more data emerges. And until next time, just remember that progress is imperfect right both in science and in life and i believe that we're always learning and we're also always unlearning and you've heard it before success is not linear so if you're out there listening and you feel like you are on a roller coaster in life know that i am on there with you and a lot of us are on there with you some of us have more loop-de-loops or whatever you call them than others but no one's progress looks the same so I like to remember to focus on where I am now and to not compare my progress to where someone else is because we're all on different paths on our journey. So the most important thing is to keep moving because momentum really matters. And thanks for being a part of the community. I appreciate every single one of you. Until next time, keep moving and trust the process. <laughs>